what gift, uh, what skill, what discipline would you want Caleb and Emily and Anna and Kaylin and Rebecca and Colton and Waylon and Amelia and Sienna and Hannah and Jaden and Alexander to have? What gift would you want them to have that would be the gift that would just keep on giving? It's a gift, a discipline, a skill, an ability that would allow them to just grow and flourish uh, from, from being little men and women to godly men and women? What would it be? What would it be that you would give to them that would help them mentally, spiritually, intellectually, academically? What would it be? What would you give them? What would, and what would be that gift that would be the kind of the all-purpose gift? The gift that would, in fact... If you knew that you could give it to them and then they would have it and own it, and that, it, that would in fact ensure their entry into the kingdom of heaven, what would that gift be? What would it be? That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about that gift, and it's this. It's this. It is, it is the gift of Listening. <laughs> Jerry got it. <laughs> yes, it is. It's the gift of listening. Someone once said, Be a good listener, your ears will never get you in trouble. It is the gift of listening. Uh, after some introductory remarks in the book of Proverbs, King Solomon begins the, the body of Proverbs with this word. Listen! In Deuteronomy chapter 6, prior to delivering Israel's prime directive, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, prior to delivering the commandment, love, there's a prior commandment to that. You know what it is? Listen! Hear, O Israel. And so it's no surprise that when Jesus is teaching us about what it takes to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, what it takes to truly grow as a, as a man and woman of God, I mean, he would tell us this. He would be the one to say, if you want to, if you want to be a fully devoted follower, if you want to grow if you want to know what it's like to follow me, Jesus says, you must listen. You must listen. And that's what we see when we open our New Testaments to the gospel of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower. And this parable is found in three gospels. Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke chapter 8. But follow along with me as I read Mark chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore 
at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, listen! (laughs) A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus, then Jesus said, listen. <laughs> huh? yeah. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen, Jesus says. Listen. Listen. Listen, listen. Such an important word from the Lord here. And as we look at these verses, I just want why, to, why does this matter so much to Jesus? Why, I mean, when we hear him say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, Jesus says that a lot. He says that a lot in the Gospels. He says that in Revelation. What is that all about? Why is this so important? Why does listening matter so much to Christ? And, and so I want to answer that question, why? And then I want to answer another question, um, how? You know, how can we listen? What does listening well look like? What, what does it take to listen well? What does it take to listen well? Okay, so that's where we're going this morning. Uh, why? Why is this so important? And then, and then, what does it take to listen well? First, the why. First, the why. And the answer is very simple. Jesus says that he wants, you need to listen to him because listening is how you enter the kingdom of heaven. That's it. Listening is how we enter the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that what the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17? What? Faith comes by what? Listening, hearing, hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. We listen because listening is how we enter the kingdom of God. Now, you have to understand how revolutionary this is, because, I mean, Jesus lived in first century Israel, and first century Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire, And I can guarantee you this, that the Roman Empire did not acquire land and territory and last a thousand years by asking the good people from Israel to become good listeners. (laughs) That's not how it worked. When when Rome came to Israel and any other province, when Rome came, there was no listening. I mean, when Caesar's legions appeared, you either joined the empire or you died. Here in this parable, I mean, we'll see, you know, Jesus is the sower, okay? The sower, all right, well, Rome was not a sower. Rome was a reaper. Rome reaped. And how different this is from earthly kingdoms. You see, you see, someone wrote, this is good, successful earthly leaders are those who get a hearing, not those who give a hearing. Successful earthly leaders Successful earthly leaders are experts at persuading the masses to care about what that leader tells them to care about. The fact of the matter is the best leaders on earth are bad listeners. 
They are. Because if they, because if they listened too well, then they wouldn't be winsome enough, and they'd be steamrolled by some other leader who's worse at listening than they are. Earthly kingdoms do not grant power to those who give a hearing. They grant power to those who get a hearing. Power flows to the talkers, not the listeners. I mean, that's, that's the way it worked on earth. And some of, you, some of you know this. You know this because you've been in work situations. Someone bends, the, someone bends the boss's ear, and the boss doesn't go with who listens best, but rather with who squeals the loudest. Earthly kingdoms are good at making others listen because it's about power. But that's not the way the kingdom of God is, Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a seed. It's, the kingdom of God is not a mortar, it's a seed. And it falls gently and it changes the land and it transforms the land, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And the message of the gospel is the seed that falls on our hearts and gets beneath, reaches our soul, changes us, transforms us, the message. Faith comes by hearing the message And the message is heard through the word of Christ. And what is this message? What is it? I'll tell you what it is. The message is that a king came from heaven and conquered evil decisively and defanged the devil by being tortured and crucified and killed and buried and resurrected. That's the message. That's all we have to offer. That's it. And that's why the apostle Paul calls this the foolishness of the gospel. And as such, people mock it. And they've been mocking it for years and years and years. And, and I, would, I want to show you something here up on the screen. This is, uh, this is called the Alexamenus Graffito. Some of you have seen this. You study a little bit of ancient history. But in the city of Rome was found this graffito. It's kind of an etching. And then, you know, they've clarified it here on the right. And, I mean, it is a parody of Christianity. And the writing there, uh, the next slide shows a little bigger. The writing there says, Alexamenos worships his God. And it's it's a mockery of Jesus on the cross. A donkey. It tells you how absurd the Roman culture thought Christianity was, this idea of a crucified God. I mean, what is all of that about? It was foolishness. Paul calls it the foolishness of what was preached, the foolishness of the cross. And to the world, it is foolish. But this gospel seed has transformed our world. Because we worship one who says that if you really want to lead, you've got to serve And if you want to be first, you've got to be last. And if you want to gain your life, you've got to lose it for Christ. And the way up is down. And the way to true riches is to give it and yourself away. And and so because the gospel is like that, then sometimes, you know, it it is easy to reject it. And we often worry 
wonder, how come, you know, how come we're not making more of an impact on our culture than what we should be, and we get frustrated, and we just want things to happen sooner and sooner, and what we need to really, and we say, God, do something. What are you going to do something right now? And it's what we're wanting. We're wanting God to do and to work the way earthly kingdoms work, and it's just not going to happen that way. You know, we're going to be doing our weekend of service, two weekends, two weeks from today, okay? You show up here at this time, two weeks from today, and this room's going to be empty. We have 900 people fanned out into eight different locations to serve and to meet needs with love. We've got uh, 57% of all of our job slots filled already, and so we need, to, we need to close it and finish the job. Do that today, please. Listen, we would be naive to think that this weekend won't be criticized by the world. I mean, we're, we're just naive if we, if we just say, oh, you know, everybody's going to like this because it's just kind of a nice, neat thing for a church like ours. Listen, listen, don't be naive, please. Because the gospel is like a seed, not a mortar. And, and just because the gospel is a seed doesn't mean it isn't powerful. Yeah. The seed eventually does transform the field and do what even TNT can't do. Jesus can. And, and, and by the way, where is Rome today? Where is the empire today? Huh? Kingdoms come and kingdoms go, theirs and ours. But Christ's kingdom is eternal. It's eternal. And it's the smallest seed that becomes the greatest tree, and it is the smallest grain of sand that becomes as large as Mount Everest. And if you want to get into that kingdom, you have got to learn to listen. Listen. How well do you listen? See, See, that's why Jesus told this parable. That's why he told parables. He told parables to test his audience's ability to listen. Huh? Yeah. That's what we learn here. When he was alone, the 12, and, and you remember, you know, I mean, you know, before the crowd, before the crowd, Jesus just spoke verses 1 through 9, and then he dismissed the crowd. Listen, I don't know any seminary today that trains preachers to give obscure messages and then go out into the foyer in the hopes that those who really want to know what it was about will come up and ask. <laughs> but that's what's going on here. Jesus concludes with verse 9, and then verse 10, you know, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him, I could just picture it. Awesome, Jesus. Awesome message. You're a rock star. You really gave it to him. What, what did you mean by what you said, by the way? Really? Verse 11 says, he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now stop right there, because I have to explain that word secret. All right? Just put in your margin or put on your notes or write it in your palm. I don't know where. Put it somewhere. When you see the word secret, just write the word revealed truth. Revealed truth. In other words, it is something, you know, here's what it's not. Secret mystery in the New Testament does not, we're not talking about a Dan Brown, lost symbol, Da Vinci Code, national treasure one and two and three ad nauseum thing. That's not what we're talking about here, okay? We're, we're, 
when the Bible uses the word mystery, it means a, a truth that God has revealed that would not have been revealed had God not revealed it. That's what we're talking about, okay? And Jesus says, this revealed truth has been given to you, but those on the outside, everything else is said in parables. Verse 12 says, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And those verses, if you look in, even in the footnote of maybe your church Bible or your Bible, those, Jesus is quoting Isaiah chapter 6. Because God had sent Isaiah and commissioned Isaiah to prophesy and to speak judgment, to tell, Pete, to tell Israel to repent. And God even warned Isaiah, they're not going to listen to you. Go and speak anyway because their hearts are hardened. And, and what we're learning from this is that when, when God's truth is revealed, God's truth never hardens a heart it just reveals which hearts are already hardened. And that's what's going on. And, and, and one greater than Isaiah has come, Jesus. Jesus. And that's why then Jesus says to them in verse 13, don't you understand this parable? If you, how then will you understand any parable? Okay. Listen, Jesus says, listening is how you enter the kingdom of listening is how you enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, listen up. Listen well. You've got to listen well if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this leads to my next question. What's that look like? What does it take? What does it take to listen up? And and this is where Jesus explains to them the parable. And, And what he says here is that. You know, you learn to listen well, not with your ear, but with your heart, see, with your heart. You can, you can have perfect hearing, but be spiritually deaf. And so Jesus talks about the hearts that are deaf to God, and, and he talks first about the busy heart, Verses 14 and 15, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. I like how Luke chapter 8 verse 5 describes the path. It's the path that was trampled on. It's the trampled on path. Why is it the trampled on path? Because people are beating the ground back and forth until it's asphalt hard with their fast-paced feet. And these hearts are too busy and too compacted to have the seed of the Word of God enter and transform and change. They're too busy. Now, Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. I wonder what too busy looked like 2,000 years ago. Really, think about that. I mean, I know what it looks like today in our culture, right? Let me listen to our very words. We have words that talk about how busy. There's uh, time crunch, fast food, rush hour, frequent flyer, expressway, one-night delivery, rapid transit. We send our packages with Federal Express. Who sends their packages with Federal Slow? I mean, who does that? It's got to be Federal Express. We, we have our phones with Sprint. We do our checkbooks with Quicken, and we diet with Slim Fast. Right? 
Well, we're the only nation that has a, it's called Mount Rushmore. Huh? Someone once wrote, man is flying too fast for a world that is round. Soon he will catch up with himself in a great rear-end collision, and man will never know that what hit him from behind was man. I mean, is this a word for us today? Really? Like a toddler tugging and pulling and nagging for our attention. Technology and busyness and hurrying begs and whines. For our hearts, and we give it at the expense of God's word. And, and, and for a lot of us, you know, it's not that we don't want to hear the word. We can't hear the word. We can't. Because we're too busy listening to voicemail and reading email and then waiting for the next email. Click, click, come on, come on. Someone contact with me, come on. And God's word never just gets underneath because we're just it's just asphalt you know listen here's what here's what i need you to do for the weekend of service did i tell you that we're having a weekend of service (laughs) here's what i need you to do for the weekend of service i need you to go sign up today i need you to do a four-hour shift all right and then uh, uh, you know so if you do a four-hour shift on saturday great do a four-hour shift on saturday and then take another hour after that and read your bible And then on Sunday, on Sunday, let that be your your margin day, okay? And and just read your Bible for an hour on Sunday, okay? Or maybe if you're going to do a four-hour shift on Sunday, read your Bible for an hour on Saturday, and then read your Bible for an hour on Sunday, and then do your four-hour shift. And then that's all I really need you to schedule. Your soul will thank you because it'll catch up with your body. And you might find if you do that, I wonder how many of us are really willing to do that. To just take that time and let the word just kind of, you know, get in there. And if you don't do that intentionally, if we don't do that intentionally, then you know what happens? You see, our world does not know how to slow down. Well, our world only slows down until it crashes. That's when it slows down. And often, the only thing that'll slow us down so that we can listen up is, is when we crash. And that's, that's the tragedy. See, Pain or stress or trials. Is your heart hurried? If your heart's hurried, maybe that's why you're not hearing from God. Hmm? This kind of leads us to another heart condition that affects our hearing. Not the hurried heart Jesus talks about, But not only that, but the shallow heart. Look at verse 16. Others like seed, sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they had no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Some make a shallow commitment to God. And they make that commitment that, God, they, God, I want to serve you more. I want to pray more. I want to read my Bible more. I want to attend church more. And they, and they welcome the word with joy, which, by the way, is a good thing. That's a good thing, welcoming the word with joy. But then the drought comes, and the heat is on, and trouble or persecution occurs because of the word. And they have no root, and their hearts are shallow, 
and they go limp. And it kind of makes you wonder if these folks ever understood the kingdom in the first place. I mean, they thought they were entering Christ's kingdom, but really what they wanted was just a genie in a bottle. They, they, they weren't looking for a savior. They wanted a blesser. They were looking for Jesus, the service provider. That's what they were looking for. And when Jesus stopped providing the service that they think that they're entitled to, well, then they're going to shop for another God. They're done. And you can tell. You can tell what they worshiped because they lost it in the heat, didn't they? Last winter, I started really praying through and talking with the staff and talking with the elders about this weekend of service. And we get into... this project thinking, you know, well, this is just going to be a nice, neat thing for a nice, neat suburban type of kind of church Christians to do, and we get this naive joy about the whole thing, and then we realize this takes work. It takes work. You know, it takes work to coordinate 900 volunteers. The thing that you're signing up on when you get online, it's called Volunteer Spot. It's not called forced labor spot it's volunteer spot and 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 so you to try to coordinate volunteers and i mean that means we have to work together and and that means we've got to get along with one another and we've got to trust and follow those who are leading us whether that's your task team leader or whether the task team leader is you know following and supporting your particular project site manager and the project site managers need to follow and cooperate with the with the the coordinators i mean this is to to get us all together we need to cooperate and 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 so it's easy for this initial joy to kind of get whoa when we realize well we've got to we've got to work together see we've got to work together yeah and you know what we're learning 900 people cannot drive one bus at the same time do you know that Sully Sullenberger from U.S. Airways, the guy who successfully ditched that jet in the Hudson River, saved 150 passengers last winter. You know, he's flying again. I'll tell you this much. Had 150 people tried to land that plane, none of them would have survived. None of them. I need, I need you to follow the person who's leading you. See? And... Uh, you know, we're past the initial euphoria phase of this project, and now it's time to keep our eyes focused on the finish line and serve, and truly serve, and, and, and truly take a, a whatever-it-takes attitude. Are you willing to do that? Hmm? Are you? Well, you're going to have to have more than a shallow heart, if you will, see. Jesus says, you're not, you're not gonna, you're, and, you're, and you're not gonna grow in Christ if you have, a, you're not gonna grow in Christ if you have a hurried heart. You're not gonna grow in Christ if you have a, a shallow heart. And furthermore, you're not gonna grow if you have a divided heart. Verse 18, still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. A divided heart. I'm talking about a heart that just cannot make up its mind. I'm talking about the kind of a divided heart that that young girl had when her boyfriend proposed marriage to her. He said, darling, I love you with all of my heart. 
I love you more than anything else in the world, and I want you to marry me. Now, I'm not rich like Johnny Brown, and I don't have a mansion like Johnny Brown, and I don't drive a Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown, but I love you with all my heart. And she said, I love you too. Tell me more about Johnny Brown. John Piper is a pastor. He once said, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's it's not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. We're talking about basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and golfing and decorating and traveling and biking and investing and TV watching and working out and internet surfing and shopping and collecting and talking. All of these can become deadly substitutes for God. They can become idols. Idols that, that... have ears but cannot hear, have eyes but do not see. And here's the difference with this group right here. This is the only group that's miserable. Really. I mean, none of the other groups are are miserable because they've made up their minds. But this group, the the most miserable hearts are divided hearts. And you're not changing and other people aren't being changed through you. And what you need is a good dose of Psalm 8611. The psalmist says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And that verse right there, Psalm 8611, describes the good soil, the good stuff. Huh? teachable, willing to hear, willing to walk in the truth, and undivided, undivided. Jesus says in verse 20, others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word and accept it and produce a a bumper crop is what he's going to tell us here, 30, 60, even 100 times. That's a bumper crop. And Luke chapter 8 verse 15 calls this the good and noble heart. Why is it good and noble? Because it's an exclusive heart, not a divided heart. It's a deep heart, not a shallow heart. It's a rested heart, not a hurried heart. And it produces a gr- bumper crop. What, what, where's your heart today, church? Where's your heart today? What kind of a heart do you want? Is is your heart helping you hear? If not, then listen up, Jesus says. You want to get rid of the rocks? You want to get rid of the weeds, the thorns? You You want to break up the compacted soil? Here's what you need to do. Go to the gardener. That's what you need to do. Because it's the gardener's job to break up the soil, isn't it? 
It's the gardener's job to weed it. It's the gardener's job to remove the rocks. We, we say, Jesus, I've got these thorns and I've got these rocks in my life. I've got this soil that's compacted and I need you to take them. And when you go to him, you know what? You find out Jesus has been waiting for you to ask him to take them because to do what only he can do. And you know what he says? He says, guess what? My back was broken up. My back was plowed by Roman whips on my way to the cross for you. And he says, I, I've taken your thorns. I've taken them from your field and I put them on my head. And I've got your rock. I was buried in one. And if you will surrender and listen and pay attention to me and listen up, I will grow your life. Church, listening is how you enter the kingdom. Listen up. Listen up. And I want you to listen to these words from the sower himself. Words that he spoke there at the cross as he hung there for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I thirst. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Finished. Finished. 